Let's read together from the Word of God, turning to the Gospel according to Luke, to Luke chapter 11, and we're reading the first 13 verses. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Then he said to them, Suppose one of you has a friend, and he goes to him at midnight and says, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread, because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. Then the one inside answers, Don't bother me. The door is already locked, and my children are with me in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up, And give him the bread because he is his friend. Yet because of the man's boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. He who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? A relationship in which people never spoke to each other isn't a relationship that's going to last very long, is it? A relationship can be killed by silence. It's as deadly as verbal combat, maybe more deadly. You've heard of those who give the silent treatment, and it's a weapon, of course, uh, and it's a destructive and a deadly weapon. Often, The silence is rooted in anger or resentment, unresolved issues. But it is a relationship killer. And to mend damaged relationships, often in the course of counseling, it's necessary to start at that point of getting the parties talking, to be encouraging them to communicate. Until that's happening, nothing of any significance can be done to help them. And I'm sure most of us, all of us, recognize the wisdom of that. The importance of communication, the damage of silence. And yet, how often Christians seem not to apply that worldly wisdom to the relationship with God. How could our relationship with God be healthy if we don't talk to him, if we don't communicate with him? He addresses us, he talks to us, 
there in his word, in scripture. He's constantly talking to us. And yet how often is he met with silence on our part? He hears nothing back. We come now to our fourth question today, the fourth area of basic Christian living that we want to look at and examine ourselves in the light of God's word. And so we're asking today, do you give yourself to prayer? Do you give yourself to prayer? It's a big challenge. It's an area where most Christians are fairly weak. Do you give yourself to prayer? Let's think first of all about the why of prayer. The why of prayer. Why should we give ourselves to prayer? Because generally Christians struggle with regard to prayer. Sometimes we're baffled why we do talking to our Father in heaven. Why is it difficult? And yet, most Christians find prayer hard work. If I were to ask you for a show of hands, who is content with his or her prayer life this morning? I suspect very, very few hands, if any, would go up. And if your hand did go up, I might not be inclined to believe you. None of us, if we're honest, is really content with our prayer life. If you were to count up in the course of a week how much time you give to prayer compared to just about any other activity, I'd suggest it's more than likely prayer will clearly not be a high priority. It requires effort. It is work. So why should we give ourselves to prayer? We need motivation. We all do. And surely the first part of the why, the fundamental part, is the nature of God, God's nature. We need to begin with the one to whom we are praying. We talk about the power of prayer, that's right. But the power of prayer doesn't lie in us in how earnest we are, or how often we pray, or how zealous we are in prayer. That isn't what gives prayer its power. The power of prayer lies in the God to whom we pray. We can think particularly of the fact that God is sovereign. Isn't that a wonderful encouragement in prayer? God is sovereign. And that's the universal testimony of Scripture, as you know very well. Psalm 135 and verse 6, The Lord does whatever pleases him in the heavens and on the earth. If God wills something, he will be able to do it. There is no lack of power in our God. There is no gap between his willing and his doing, as there often is for us. We might will many things and we're not able to do them. Not so with God. And that is a powerful motivation in prayer. Nothing that we ask in prayer is too big for God. 
The Lord will not turn us away saying, that's too big a prayer. I can't answer it. So as we think of God's nature, remember God is sovereign. And remember too that God is gracious. And Again, that's full of encouragement. God is gracious. We're not trying to persuade a God who doesn't really want to bless his people. Far from it. He is a gracious God. And if we focus particularly on Christ as we must when we think of God's grace, in the Lord Jesus Christ, Peter tells us, 2 Peter 1.3, we have everything we need for life and godliness. Isn't that a precious assurance? Everything we need. And that's why we have promises like Philippians 4.19, my God will supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And so the children of God do not need to doubt God's power because God is sovereign. And they do not need uh, to doubt his willingness because he is gracious. What more, in a sense, do we need to hear? The why of prayer begins with God's nature. He's sovereign and he's gracious. But the why of prayer surely also embraces our need. Our need. God's nature is the foundation, but our need is part of the why of prayer. Often the greatest obstacle to a healthy prayer life is a lack of a sense of need of God's provision. Do you find the times when you think everything's going fairly smoothly, I'm getting on all right, I can manage? Those are the times you're probably praying very little because you've no sense of need, even though you are in need. You don't feel it. And that is the great danger when everything is going well. Perhaps in the crisis and the difficult times then, we are more likely to realize our need and turn to the Lord. And at times, of course, that's why God permits trials to come into the lives of Christians, to shake us and to make us aware of our total dependence on him. He takes away, perhaps, every other prop and all we've got is the Lord. Paul asks in 1 Corinthians 4, 7, what do you have that you did not receive? And the answer is obvious, nothing. Nothing. And that is not confined to spiritual provision. That's every aspect of life, the material, the physical, just as much as the spiritual. When we pray in the Lord's Prayer, give us today our daily bread. Yes, it is provision for our souls to nourish us, but it's provision for our bodies as well. It's bread in the most ordinary sense. All of life is of concern to our Father. Now, of course, prayer isn't a substitute for work. The Lord enables us and gives us opportunity. We are to work to provide for ourselves and for others. But the prayer acknowledges, all prayer acknowledges a need. Who gives us the health to work? 
Who gives us the jobs to go to? And ultimately, it's the Lord. And when we pray, we acknowledge our need, our pride is mortified, our self-sufficiency is cut down to, to size. The why of prayer. God's nature, he's sovereign and he's gracious, and our need. And both are powerful motivations for giving ourselves to prayer. The why of prayer. Secondly, let's think about the what of prayer. The what. What should we pray for? What can we pray for? We need at this point uh, to remember we have to be careful as we read the words of Scripture that we read them in context. Look at the verses around them. The company in which you find them. Because it's dangerous to take the words of Scripture out of context. You can make them say anything. And so as we're thinking of prayer, you might turn up 1 John 3 and verse 22 and read there, We receive from him anything we ask because we obey his commands and do what pleases him. We receive anything we ask. And on the face of it, that seems to guarantee a positive answer to any request, almost like a kind of of blank check given to any obedient Christian. Keep God's law and you can have anything you ask him for. And there are some varieties of supposedly Christian teaching that would suggest that's true. Name it and claim it. It's something you will hear in some circles. You're keeping God's word. You can ask him for anything. And he will give it. Indeed, he almost has to give it to you. Is that the case? Well, that's ripping the verse, of course, out of its context. The Bible offers no support for a name-it-and-claim-it theology. Think of Paul's experience. Paul, a godly apostle, a faithful servant of God, a man of prayer. He gave himself to prayer. In 2 Corinthians 12, 8, he recounts his experience of the thorn in the flesh, whatever exactly that was. And he writes there, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away. What was God's answer? It was not taking it away. It was giving Paul grace to live with it. But Paul, the obedient apostle, couldn't come to God and ask for anything and simply get it. As if God were like a slot machine in the sky. And you put in your obedience and you got out whatever you asked for. That's not the God of the Bible. That's not the God that Paul served. So how then are we to understand verses like that? How do we make sense of them in accord with the rest of Scripture? What are we to pray for? What is the the what of prayer? We need to be listening to verses like John 14 and verse 14. You may ask me for anything in my name, 
and I will do it. Anything in my name. And the name of Jesus isn't some sort of magic charm. If you can ask anything and just stick in Jesus' name at the end of it and you'll get it. We're back to name it and claim it. The name of Jesus signifies who he is, his character, his work. It sums up who the Lord Jesus Christ is. And if you're praying in his name, then you're praying in accord with his nature and his plan and his promises. That's what John 14, 14 is telling us. It's not some sort of blank check. Praying in accord with the nature and the plan and the promises of the Lord. And that ties in with words that John writes against his first letter, 1 John 5, 14. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Prayers that are within the will of God. Now, of course, in the specifics, we pray for the healing of a loved one, if we pray for some particular situation, we may not know what God's will is in that specific situation. Often we don't. But the Lord has given us in Scripture abundant direction for the big issues and the big questions about which to pray. Plenty of direction in Scripture. That, of course, is why, of course, we're to feed on Scripture to go back to our second question in the checkup. Fill your mind and your heart with the Bible, and you'll know more and more what God's will is, and you'll know how to pray. And, of course, when we don't know how to pray, it's perfectly right to come and say to the Lord, if it is your will. You know, again, there's some Christians who say you shouldn't pray like that. It's a lack of faith to say, if it is your will. No, it's not. Even Jesus prayed, Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. James exhorts us that we pray and we think and we plan, if it is the Lord's will, we'll do this and that. Humble submission to God's will is always appropriate in prayer. As long as our prayers and petitions don't violate what the Bible teaches, we're not asking for something that the Bible says is wrong or sinful, then we may come and say, Lord, if it is your will, may I have this, may that happen. And the more we know the Bible, the more we will understand how God works and what his plans and purposes are. Shorter Catechism, as it often does, sums up the Bible's teaching very well. It's a good resource. We should thank God, those of us who are trained in the Shorter Catechism and who can still remember it or parts of it. It's a great resource. Not because it's our authority, the Bible is, but because it's a good summary of what the Bible says. Shorter Catechism, question 98. 
defining prayer, it refers to things agreeable to his will. An offering up of our desires unto God for things agreeable to his will. That's exactly what the scriptures are telling us. And the more we soak ourselves in the Bible and fill our hearts and minds with it, the better we'll be able to do that. Of course, you see the different questions we're looking at all tie together. They're not little separate boxes. The Bible in one and prayer in a different one. They relate to one another in a healthy Christian life. Things agreeable to his will. And that gives us a vast scope for prayer. You'll never run out of things to pray for. And it encourages us, does it not, to bring big petitions to the Lord because he's able to supply. We've seen he's sovereign, he's able, he's gracious, he's willing. So bring your prayers for things agreeable to his will. And if you're not sure that it is his will, say, Lord, if it is your will. Nothing wrong in that. The why of prayer. God's nature and our need. The what of prayer. Things agreeable to his will, to use that catechism phrase. And then finally, we want to think about the how of prayer. The why and the what. Let's think about the how. How do we give ourselves to prayer? What should characterize us if our prayer life is healthy? And there are many things we could choose, but let's just select a very few. Surely first we need to mention confession. Confession of sin. Our obedience doesn't earn answers to prayer. Let's clear our minds of that. The idea that if I obey God well enough, well then I can ask him for this favor and he'll give it to me because I was a good boy or a good girl. Prayer is not fueled by our uh, obedience that we earn what we receive. But it's one sure thing that sin does. Shut off responses on the Lord's part. Disobedience blocks answers to prayer. James 4.3 You do not receive because you ask with wrong motives. There's the roadblock of sin. It cuts off the answer. In the context, James 4, it's the self-centeredness of those who were praying. They wanted things to enjoy for themselves. And James says, your sin is hindering the answer. So our obedience doesn't earn an answer, but our disobedience certainly blocks the answer. And so we need, in prayer, to examine ourselves, to open ourselves to the searchlight of God's word. Are there sins that need to be confessed? Are we sure our motives are pure, or as sure as we can be, that our motives are pure. 
And that's why confession of sin uh, should be a regular part of a healthy prayer life. Some might think, well, surely if you're a Christian and your sins are forgiven, why do you need to confess your sins? Aren't they all covered? But of course, our sins disrupt our relationship with God. They damage our fellowship. As we've seen, they block his answers. We need to be confessing our sins constantly. We receive when we're obedient and we're confessing our sins and removing the roadblocks, the obstacles. So confession is a vital part of the how of prayer. Confess your sins. Remove the obstacles. Secondly, in thinking of the how of prayer, we faith. Faith. Because prayer is an expression of trust, isn't it? Trust in Christ. Trust in his promises. If you don't trust the Lord, why would you pray? Unless you're just going through a ritual, going through the motions. Prayer involves trust. And we have the assurance of Philippians 4.19 that my God will meet all your needs. We offer our petitions and we trust the Lord. We're aware of his provision. That we're aware of his grace and his goodness and we trust the Lord. James chapter 1 verses 5 and 6 when James is writing about praying for wisdom you might remember when we looked at it some time ago. When he asks, James says, he must believe and not doubt. Faith. Faith, of course, built on God's promises. It's not a faith we somehow work up in ourselves with willpower and make ourselves believe. No. It's faith that takes the promises of the Bible and prays that the Lord will answer our prayers. Praying on the foundation of God's word strengthens our faith and removes our uncertainty. Confession, faith, linked with that is dependence. Always an awareness of our dependence on the Lord. We've mentioned that a number of times already. But think particularly of our dependence on the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will guide us in prayer. Pray in the Spirit on all occasions, Paul writes in Ephesians 6.18. Pray in the Spirit. What does that mean? It doesn't mean pray in some sort of ecstatic trance or in some mystical state. Pray in the Spirit is guided by the Spirit of God, empowered by the Spirit of God. Because if the Holy Spirit isn't filling our prayers and empowering us, our prayers are going very quickly to flag. Maybe that's often why our prayer life is so poor. Because it's not empowered by the Holy Spirit. It's something we think of as doing by ourselves. And prayer never will last and never will flourish if that's the case. Dependence on the Spirit of God. Confession, faith, dependence, and finally, we can't leave out thanksgiving. 
thanksgiving. Do you find nowadays that people are very slow to thank you? To express thanks, you give gifts. And maybe you never hear a word about the gift. I think that's increasingly common in our culture. Maybe they're thankful, but there's no expression of it. And how sad if Christians slip into that same mindset. We pray, we receive the answer, do we thank the Lord for the blessings we receive? It's right, it's proper, it's necessary to give thanks when the Lord answers prayer. And it encourages our praying in future, doesn't it? When we remember what the Lord has done, it encourages us to pray for what he will do. Remember a verse like Philippians 4 and verse 6, in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Does the thanksgiving slip out of our minds sometimes? Perhaps it does. And we receive, and we are blessed richly in many ways. Are we people of thankfulness? An absence of thanksgiving surely is a sin that will block further answers to prayer. We talked about confession, getting rid of the roadblocks. Maybe our thanklessness is one that needs to be confessed often. And yet if the Lord's the focus of our attention, and if our minds are on the Lord as we're praying, surely thanksgiving will flow naturally. We love him, we're talking to him, we're thinking of what he's already done for us, and surely we'll be thankful. Maybe the root of that sin, like so many, is a lack of focus on God, the God to whom we come in prayer. Do you give yourself to prayer? The Lord asks you that question today. How do you answer it? The why of prayer, God's nature, he's sovereign, he's gracious. The what of prayer, things agreeable to his will. And the how of prayer, confession, faith, dependence, thanksgiving. May we be people who give ourselves to prayer. We are powerful in prayer for the Lord's glory and the advancement of his kingdom.